I'm really excited about today because today we're in a text of Scripture that I think will minister to everyone in this room, no matter who you are. Um, and there are all types of folks here today, and I, I know I recognize that, all ages, all backgrounds. Um, we all have come out of different things this week, struggling, suffering, rejoicing, successful, wherever you are on the spectrum, there's something here for you today. You, you might be a believer growing in your faith. This is a text for you. This might be something that will be an encouragement at the end of the service for you to be a part of and, and, and step, take another step of faith. You might not even be a Christian. Um, you might have come into this room by the invitation of someone else, and you're still checking it all out. I, I really believe God has something to say to you, too. I want to read the entire text. The text will be encouraging. Uh, I'll make some comments, and then we'll get into the sermon, all right? Look with me, Matt, Mark chapter 5. Mark Chapter 5, verse 21. I know you are standing, but if you don't mind, let's stand. Let's read this text together. And when Jesus has crossed again in the boat to the other side. Now, this is Jesus coming back across the Sea of Galilee from the east side to the west side. He went across the sea to meet with a demon-possessed man. The people in the town there begged Jesus to leave. Jesus will not stay where he is not wanted. So he leaves. He comes to the other side. There's a great crowd gathered around him. He's beside the sea. Can't even leave the seashore. So many people are thronging against him. Verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. A synagogue is a place of Jewish worship. A synagogue by the name of Jairus by name. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, while he was still speaking, speaking tenderly to this woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, did, did I not say, or did I not tell you, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people 
weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them outside and took the child's father and mother, and those who were with him went in, and there was the child. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithi kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. It's, it's an Aramaic. Most likely the little girl spoke Aramaic, so Jesus speaks in her mother tongue. I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And Jesus strictly charged them that they should not tell anyone and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we need your help, your Holy Spirit, to lead us into this truth. You promised your spirit to lead us, and we are grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this section of Scripture is not unique to Mark. Several times he uses or employs what is called a sandwich a sandwich in biblical theology where he shares a story and in the middle of that story inserts another story and then finishes the story. We're not unused to this in our own lives. This is fast paced. It's moving along and leaves you a little bit in suspense. I I like this because here's an interruption in a real critical situation. I want you to see that Jairus comes to Jesus and everyone who's a dad or a mom gets the desperation of this parent. Jesus, come help my child. Jairus was Capernaum from Capernaum. He'd already witnessed what Jesus had done in the lives of others. He knows his best hope is Jesus. I just need to get to Jesus. Jesus then turns and comes with Jairus. What thrill that must have been for Jairus to think, now there is hope for my daughter. But while they're going in this emergency situation, the ambulance stops because there's a woman there that touches Jesus' garment, and Jesus knows that there's healing that takes place, and he calls her out, and she then tells her life story to him. She confesses the entire truth, and can't you just imagine Jarius standing there going, that's great, let's move on, we've got to go. And while all this is going on, the terrible announcement from the servant's there in Jairus' home. Your, your daughter's dead. And then Jesus, making his way to this home, walks into the house, takes over, and raises a 12-year-old little girl back to life. He tells them this, hey, y'all can't tell anybody about this. Matthew says they did not obey that commandment. Hopefully they obeyed the second one, which was feed her. Hopefully they did what they could do. It's here in this disaster, in this difficult situation, that we see Jesus taking over. We've already witnessed in Mark that Jesus is more powerful than the weather. He can overcome spiritual forces, and now an illness, and even death. In other words, Jesus has power over disaster, over demons, over disease, and over our worst enemy, death itself. There's nothing then I'm facing today that has greater power than my Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nothing in your life right now, as difficult as it seems, that has greater hold on you than your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of the message, I want us to 
really just simply get on our face in faith before God and thank Him for His precious promises and take Him by faith and believe. The reality is, here are two people that took Jesus by faith. And anyone, anyone, anyone who will come to Jesus by faith will be healed. Anyone. Do you believe that? Anyone who comes to Jesus by faith will be healed. It might be in this life. It might be in the next life. But the sickness, the sorrow that has a hold of you right now, the suffering you might be enduring will not last forever. Do you have faith? What kind of faith do you have? What quality of faith do we see in this text? I think it's important to look at the quality of faith in this text. Here we have the reality that faith is active. True faith, real faith, genuine faith in Jesus Christ is always active. There's action that takes place with faith. James would say, faith without works is dead. True faith is lively. It's moving. It's like the first graders up here. Always, always active. How's your faith today? Is your faith active? I want you to look at these two because in these two, I believe we can identify ourselves. You are like these two. Even though these two are very dissimilar, we see a lot of similarities with us and them. For instance, Jairus was a a well-respected leader in his community. The sick woman was an outcast. Jairus was different than this woman because the sudden death of his daughter came out of nowhere. The woman had been suffering her nightmare for 12 years. Jairus, who was captain in the synagogue, had heard all of the Old Testament scriptures up to this point. He'd read about the incredible work of the miracles of Moses. He learned how that Daniel was in a lion's den and God miraculously shut the mouths of lions. He read about Elijah with a widow woman who lost her son and Elijah raised him from the dead. He knew the power of God. He read about it all of his life. He had trust in this God And not only that, he had with his own eyes in Capernaum witnessed the work of Jesus Christ in the lives of others. This woman, however, she'd only heard about the reports. She'd only heard through the grapevine, possibly, the witness of others who had seen the work of Jesus Christ. She was not a religious woman because she was unable to attend synagogue. She was considered unclean. Others in the community would have thought she was cursed of God. What in the world had happened? What did she do? She was like Job and Job's friends who came to Job and said, no wonder you're sick, Job. You must have some secret sin that God has brought this upon you. This woman would have been considered cursed of God. Not like Jairus, blessed of God. She was unclean, therefore she couldn't even go to the place of prayer with other women at the temple. When she came around, people had to leave. Anything she touched had to be thrown away. She couldn't be touched by other humans because she was considered ceremonially unclean. So different than Jairus was this woman. This woman had no support system. 
She had a gynecological problem that lasted her 12 years and therefore no one around her. We don't know if she was married or even had a family, but most likely felt so isolated. Jarius had a support system, didn't he? His daughter died, but he had lots of people around him encouraging him and strengthening him and helping him along the way. Not this woman. You know, there are some things that we go through in life that we would never choose, but we are grateful that when we go through them, we have a support system. You heard today how that we have groups, and I'm grateful for the groups we have and the church family that we have that come alongside us. I can remember on one occasion, Les and I, going through a real difficult time, and we were sitting in our house, and we heard a knock on the door. We went to the door. You know, it's kind of one of those deals where we're going through something. We really didn't want to see anybody, and they must have known that because they knocked on the door, and they left a bunch of fried chicken and potato salad and left. And I'll never forget that meal. Because there are times in your life where you just need some support. You just need others around you to show up, to come along and say, hey, we don't know how to, how to answer what you're going through, but we're here to support you. But this woman had no support system. She was all alone. And some things you go through, people come alongside and help you. And some things you go through and people don't know what to say to you. They don't know how to help. They don't know what to do. In fact, some things that you go through in life isolate you from other people and even keep you away from what you really need, and that's the support of other believers that could come alongside you. This one might have felt no one knows, no one cares, no one understands what I'm going through. I'm all alone. She was isolated from the community and therefore a little bit different than Jerry's. But what did they have in common? What did they have in common? You see what they had in common? Both of them had tragedy strike their life. Here's what we can do. We can identify with one of these two. We might be somebody who's been in church for a long time like Jarius, and we have a lot of support in the Scriptures. We know the Savior, and we have friends that also believe by faith what God has said. You might be here, and you say, I, I really don't know much about the Bible. I, I've never read Palms or Job or any of those books in the Old Testament. When you say open up the book of Mark, I have to look in the table of contents in front of my Bible, and there's nothing wrong with that. Because there's not a person in this room that one time wasn't there. We, we, we all have to learn and grow in our faith and become disciples of Jesus Christ. It's good to be green. It's just not good to stay that way. God wants you to grow in your faith. You might be here and you say, well, I'm like, I'm, I'm like this woman. I, I really don't even know where to turn. In fact, I don't even want to admit what's going on in my life. If I were to tell you all the things that I've done and all the things that I've gone through and even why I'm here, I'd be so embarrassed. I'd be so embarrassed. But both of these people had something in common. Tragedy struck their life. And the old saying is this, you only have to live long enough, don't you? Death's coming to knock on all of our doors. It will come knocking on the door of our loved ones. It will come knocking on our own doors. Every one of us are going to face the tragedy of death. Every one of us is going we're gonna, to we're gonna face the tragedy of sickness and trials and trouble. So what do they have in common? In their desperation, both of them come to the same place. They come to Jesus Christ. The, the one, Jarius, man, his danger came from out of the blue, out of nowhere. You ever had something just come out of nowhere? Everything was going good that day, and something just came out of nowhere. <laughs> I was in the emergency room one time, and while I was in the emergency room, we were, we were up in the mountains, had been skiing, and this guy had gone into the emergency room. And the doctor, I heard, asked, what happened? He said, well, I was skiing down this mountain, and this tree just jumped out in front of me out of nowhere. We've all had that happen to us. Metaphorically, we have things come out of our, into our lives out of nowhere, out of the blue. That was for Jarius, this woman. She'd been living this 
situation for so long, and it only had gotten worse. Uh, the Scriptures here say that she had spent everything she had on doctors. Um, Mark makes it almost seem as if the doctors had taken advantage of her. Luke doesn't do such. It's, it's just this. The doctors did all they could. They just couldn't do anything. They couldn't help her. In fact, she got worse and worse and worse and worse and never better at all. Nothing she ever tried ever helped. That's her situation. What they have in common? The frantic father and a desperate Roman had this in common. They both came to Jesus in faith. If you have faith in Jesus, then it's active. You come to him. You don't sit. You don't wait. You come. You come to him believing that he's able to do above and beyond what you could ask or could even think. If you don't do that, you won't have. Because Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Second quality of faith. Faith is active. Faith is a public matter. Everyone say public. Good. You are then confessing in public what Jesus wants us to confess. Look with me in verse 32. Jesus had asked the question, who touched me, right? Who touched me? And the disciples say, what do you mean? Everybody's touching you. But the real question wasn't who touched Jesus, but really who was it that Jesus touched? Because he had power go out of him. And though this woman was unclean and was not to be touched by any person, her, her sickness did not taint the precious, pure Lord Jesus Christ. He looked around. He asked, who, who did this? Who touched me? Now, Jesus, let's make this clear. Make this clear. Jesus did not ask this question because he didn't know who touched him. Jesus asked this question so others would know. In fact, Jesus asked this question especially so his disciples would know. Jesus was not only showing who touched him, but he was showing the woman who touched him that what happened in her heart was far more important than what happened in her physical being. Our personal faith, y'all, is a very public matter. Our personal faith is to be called up, not just called out. And that's what Jesus is doing with this woman. On the different occasions, I've sat with public officials in our county and our state, and I've had them say on different occasions, Pastor, I'm a Christian, but my faith is a private matter. To which I always in turn say, it cannot be. Faith in King Jesus is not something to keep secret. Nicodemus tried to keep secret his faith in Jesus. He came to Jesus at night, but it's going to be later on that he's called out. Joseph of Arimathea was called in the Bible a secret disciple, but he could not remain a secret disciple, and neither can you. If you really have faith in Jesus Christ, your faith is not only to be active, but it is to be made public. It should influence the way not only you live your life, but all the policies that you put in place. Our nation right now is in the mess it's in with the open borders and the lack of real legislation that is helpful for our society because we have Christians in office who think their faith is a private matter and not for the masses. And they're wrong. And we're in a world of hurt because of it. I know that the answers are always, yeah, but you don't understand what might happen if I go public in my workplace, in my space, in my school, on my team, in my world with Christ. Friends, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, 
I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. Real faith, the quality of genuine faith, genuine faith is a public matter. Mark it down. Mark it down. Thirdly, and just one last, there's a lot here, but let me give you three qualities, and here's the third one. Faith in Jesus, real faith in Jesus is faith in Jesus. I just didn't say that to be redundant and repetitive. I did want you to know that faith, real faith, is not faith in faith. And it's not faith in self. It's not faith in how much faith you actually have. It's not about the quantity of your faith. This woman doesn't have a great deal of faith. Matthew said she kept saying to herself, if I touch the hem of his garment. She didn't say it to anybody else because what if this does not work? Because if she thought it was going to work, if she really had great faith, she might go more public with her request. But just in case it doesn't work, let me just sneak up behind Jesus. Her faith was faith. It was active. It was faith. It was faith. It's going to become public. It was faith. And it was perfect faith because it was not her faith, but faith in Jesus. He said, your faith has made you whole. Why? Because of the object of her faith. And that was the one who was able to make her whole. So the woman comes up to Jesus. He, she comes in her imperfect faith. And Jesus then turns to her. Look at verse 34. This is so beautiful. Because of Jesus, because of his power to heal, he does for her something very special. Her faith is not perfect, but she places it in a perfect Savior. And he turns to her and he says, daughter. We have no idea what her life was like for 12 years. No idea. We can say with all certainty, it was horrendous. She was one isolated and hurt at every turn. Jeers and sneers from her community, outcast, an outsider. And Jesus, in the middle of a crowd, calls her, not out, calls her up and says, daughter. That's adoption. That's adoption. That's love beyond measure. When Jesus came to this other side to the sea, of the sea to come into this crowd, don't think for a moment that he was interrupted without knowledge. He knew what was going to occur. Jairus probably was thinking, what in the world? We've got to go. My daughter needs you. But Jesus had an appointment. I love divine interruptions. I don't always welcome them. I don't always recognize them when I see them. But afterwards, I'm so thankful for them. I'll for, for, never forget one Lord's Day, we were worshiping together on a Sunday morning. It was the Lord's Day, and I was up front, and a man came and sat next to me, and I guess he came because there wasn't a whole lot of other places to sit. And uh, while we were singing, he passed out. I mean, cold, passed out. Young guy just passes out. I didn't even have time to catch him. It was like a tree, straight, bounced off the floor. It was that bad. I jumped down, medical... Uh, People in our church came around him, and when he woke up, some of y'all will remember this, he woke up saying, in the middle of our worship service, our singing, I've got to repent, I've got to get right with God, and I've got to go home and get right with my wife. And then he began confessing his sin right there in public. 
And I said, sir, now's not the time for this. We have an invitation if you'll wait till the end of the service. No, that interruption was God's interruption. We had a worship sandwich that day. We had worship, we had repentance, and then we had worship. That repentance was worship. There's probably true uh, times in your life where you've, you've had interruptions and you didn't recognize those interruptions, but God does those for us. In the middle of this time of Jairus going with Jesus to his house, there's an interruption. You know why? Because Jesus is never in a hurry and he's always on time. Right in the middle of this, I don't think it's lost on Jairus that this woman says to Jesus, I've been dealing with this for 12 years. Jairus probably went, my daughter's 12. 12 years ago, Jairus' daughter started living. 12 years ago, this woman started dying. No coincidence. No wonder the Holy Spirit put it this way. As Jesus is tenderly talking to this woman, daughter, he gives her the affirmation, your faith has made you whole, and assurance, go in peace. While Jesus has given her all of this, you have been set free. She's not just physically healed, she is spiritually healed. She is born from above. She is adopted into the family. She is now the child of God. She's going to die physically one day, but not of that disease. But she will die physically only to live forever eternally. In the middle of that conversation, as Jesus is tenderly talking to this woman, these servants show up with an announcement from Jairus' house. Your daughter is dead. Then Jesus looks at Jairus and says to him, do not fear. Again, who can do that? To a dad who just learned that his 12-year-old daughter has died. Do not fear. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Only believe. Only believe. This should be, could be translated, keep on believing. Keep on believing. Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. I can't help but think of the song. Journey only had it half right, though. Don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. That's not what Jesus says. Don't stop believing. Hold on to me. That's what true faith is. Faith is faith in Jesus, not in a feeling because they're fleeting. They're not, faith is not faith in my belief, not faith in what I've done, but faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus says to him. Don't stop believing. True faith in Jesus is not overcome by sight. It trusts in what is unseen. Faith is Trusting what's unseen, even though everything around me seems to be horrendous. I'm going to trust what he has to say. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the assurance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of the Lord. So that what is seen is not made of those things which are visible. I believe... By faith, God created everything that is. What do you believe? I believe that God created everything that is out of nothing. And we're told without this type of faith, it is impossible to please Him. True faith believes in Jesus and trust in what is unseen. If you have given your soul to Jesus Christ, if you've been saved, you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, believing that He will take care of your most 
precious possession. Nothing do you have at your house right now or in your pocket or in the parking lot is going to last forever, but your soul will, and you have trusted him with your soul. Have you trusted him with your soul? Have you trusted Christ with your everlasting eternal soul? Then can you trust him with your temporary means? I mean, true faith trusts Jesus and Jesus alone, more so than what I have and what I don't have. If I trust Jesus, then should he not have control not only of my soul, but of my money? That's a good place to say amen, but that's a tough place to say amen. And the reason I know that's a tough place to say amen is because in the average church, about 15% of the people actually trust God enough to give 10% of their income to the Lord. That's weird, isn't it? Isn't that strange? Because you would say, I trust God with my eternal soul, but I'm not so sure he's good with money. Or, Or is it something else? Can we trust God with our kids? Can we trust God with our children to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to know that they are better off dead at His feet than alive out of His will? In our world, we're told there are certain things you have to do for your kids. You have to make sure they're in good schools. You have to make sure they make good grades. You make sure they graduate from a college with a degree so that they can make money and take care of their family. And they have to be good citizens and they have to be polite and they have to we can go on and on and on. But if that's all we do, and those are good things, and those are fine things, but that's all we do, are we really putting our faith in the Lord that what matters more than our kids' education is their spiritual growth and leading them to surrender their lives to Christ? So that if our kids say, hey, my life is Jesus and God has now called me to the mission field, we could rejoice with them? even though they're not going to live in our backyard or they're not going to live in our own community or in our own state? You know what faith in Jesus is? Faith in Jesus is faith in Jesus that sees beyond what is seen. Faith believes the promises of God, anticipates our Lord will do whatever He wants, and whatever He wants is best. It is like a child who hears his mom and dad say in the middle of the dark night, don't worry, child, as long as mom or dad are in the house, nothing will hurt you. It is trusting God that no matter what I see, he is in, He's in charge, He's in control, and He's faithful. Faith is never in a worry of hurry. Imagine Jarius. Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. But the Lord is in control. The Lord doesn't even explain anything to Jarius. The Lord doesn't even say, Jarius, I'm going to raise your daughter up. What He says is, don't fear, keep on believing. In Warren Wiersbe's book entitled, God is Not in a Hurry, He said this, great quote, we believers do not live by explanations, but by promises. By faith in God, we believe what he has said. We're never in a hurry. Therefore, we believe God's schedule is on our sovereign Lord's calendar. He even directs every solar flare and cellular outage. He's in control of it all. Faith is not fear in the face of the unexpected or the unexplainable. Weak faith wants an explanation. I've got to have an explanation. Godly faith trusts in Jesus Christ. In Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. While Jairus is watching this all unfurl, these faithless people come and give a message to Jairus. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. 
Maybe they thought as long as the child was alive, there was hope. But now, no, just let Jesus go on. There are always people who have Jesus bottled up. They've got Jesus figured out. They know how he works and when he works. They know what he'll work on. They got it all figured out. And they'll tell you about it real quick. But I've learned in my life that even though our God works within the structure of his impeachable character, he often works outside our insufficient expectations. Again, he can do abundantly above all we could ask or could even think. What is the quality of faith we see here? We see faith is active. We see faith. Faith is public, and faith is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Since faith is in Jesus alone, what two characteristics of Jesus do you see in this text? Since our faith ought to be in Jesus alone, what two characteristics in Jesus do you see in this text? Number one, pointed out in verse 34, Jesus has power over disease. All our sorrow and sickness is in his control and underneath his power. We all can say today that Jesus has power over our disease. Our most common disease that afflicts us is sin. I only call sin a disease here, not because sin is something that is impressed on us. Sin is something we commit. Sin is something we do. But like diseases, sin is terminal. Sin is far more than a disease. Far more than that, it is what we choose. But like a disease, it is terminal. And all of us are sin sick because we've chosen to go our own way and rebel against God. That's what we were as believers, not anymore. In fact, in the Corinthian church, we're told that Paul told them, don't you understand that no unrighteous person will inherit the kingdom of God? He said, that is Paul to the church, don't be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But, he then he says, such were some of you. But you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. In other words, Paul says, hey, you know that all of us, all of us have been washed by God. If it's not the fact of your life that you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you're still underneath the weight of your sin, the power of your sin, and the penalty of your sin, which is death. But our Lord has power over even sin. It's interesting here that Jesus has power over death, too. Look at verse 38. They came to the house, the ruler of the synagogue house, and Jesus saw commotion, saw people weeping loudly. This was a cultural issue. People were paid to mourn. Jesus comes in verse 39, tells them that the child's not, not, not dead, but asleep. Well, the child is dead, but the child's not gone. As far as Jesus is concerned, whether she's dead or asleep, it's just as easy for him to wake her up. This is pretty amazing to me. I mean, I had a hard time waking up our 12-year-olds out of sleep. Jesus comes and wakes a 12-year-old up out of death just as easily as she had been asleep. Verse 40, they laughed at him, but he took them outside. All of those who mocked him went outside, and Jesus came in to the house where the child was. They laughed because of the situation. They laughed because of what the situation was. Jesus says she's not dead, and they laugh because they know she is. But they don't know the reality. The situation is this. The child's dead. The reality is the author of life is in the house. 
Y'all didn't hear that. Uh, I almost feel like getting a little charismatic here. They, the people in the house, know the situation. The child's dead. They don't know the reality. The author of life is in the house. So he kicks out the scorners. This always happens when Jesus takes over a house. He kicks out what needs to be gone. Knowing Christ is such a joy. He gets us out of our restricting despair. This is a result of what we see here in this truth of trusting Him, trusting in what we cannot see. Jesus is not threatened by mourners. He's not intimidated by the scorners. Jesus overshadows the sad song of the cynic, and He puts them outside so they cannot disturb His reality. The situation on earth sometimes seems dire, doesn't it? But Psalm 2 says, here's the situation on earth. The kings set themselves up, and they take counsel against our God. They say to uh, God, we're going to burst our bonds apart from Him. We're going to cast our cords away. We don't need God. But here's the reality. That's the situation on earth. But here's the reality. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in confusion. Here's the situation sometimes in our life. Death comes. The Bible tells us it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's our situation. But here's our reality. Here's our reality. Death is swallowed up in victory, Paul said. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. What? Victory over death in the Lord Jesus Christ. We walk by faith and not by sight, the Bible says. The Bible tells us there's a, re- there's a situation on earth. We remember all the predictions of the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jude said, that they say to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. That's our situation today. But our reality is this. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The situation seemed hopeless in this house, but the reality is the master of the house has showed up and he's putting out those corners and bringing in the life that this girl needs. He gives a caring command. He tells her to rise. He tells her to rise. And immediately she gets up and she walks and she's 12 years old. And then he says to the parents, give her something to eat. You have responsibility now. I've done for you what you couldn't do and you do for her what you've commanded to do. There's a great principle there, isn't there? There's a man by the name of Abraham, I hope I have his last name right, Kruvila. He's a dermatologist. He also was a preaching professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he was preaching on this text. He pointed out that there were some words in common here in this text with the death of Jesus Christ. He said that two times in the book of Mark, the word suffered is used. It's used of this woman who suffered so much under doctors. And it was used of Jesus who said to his disciples in Mark 8, 31, I must suffer many things and rise on the third day. There was two times the word affliction is used. The word affliction can sometimes be translated scourged or flogged. This woman was scourged with a disease. And we're told that Jesus was flogged and scourged and would be beaten in Mark 10, 34. There are two times in Mark where we're told that somebody bled. Here in Mark 5, 25, and when Jesus bled on the cross. Jesus Christ suffered and bled so that we could be saved and healed. 
He took upon our sorrow and sin, Isaiah 53 says, and by His stripes we are healed. I want to ask right now about your faith in Him. Is your faith in Him such that you're believing the reality over your situation? Your situation is terrible. Your situation, if you were to bring it up to your friends, they would say, I I don't know what counsel to give you. Your situation might be a place where the doctors have said, we've done all we can do. Your situation might be dark, so dark that you haven't shared it with anybody, and therefore, you're still in this isolation. But Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever, cares is able to do abundantly above all you could ask or could even think. And whether he chooses in this life to free you from your serious disaster or to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And his grace is sufficient for whatever it is you either are going through or he takes you out of, regardless to God be the glory, because he cares for you. If I could just say it is simple. Believer, Jesus cares. So take your cares to Him because He cares for you. That's what we're going to do right now. We have an invitation, and it's a time just to take our cares to Jesus. And there's so many cares in this room, so many cares. Some of you are, as we talked about a few weeks ago, in a storm, right in the middle of it, or you're just coming out of one you can give thanks God, God for, or you're preparing for in the light what might come later in dark days. Some of you right now would say, I'm I'm in it, and I need to trust God by faith for my child who's far from God. I need to trust God by faith for my situation, that I will be obedient to Him and faithful to Him and not worry and become overcome with despair because of what I'm going through. I'm going to lean on Jesus Christ. He may heal me. He may take me out of it, but even if He doesn't, His grace is sufficient, and He'll walk with me through it. I want to know what your faith is like today. Faith is active. Faith doesn't wait till tomorrow. Faith is active. It, it, it obeys today. Faith is public. You say, I, I'm not sure. I want anybody to know what I'm going through. No, all glory to God and all testimonies to God. It, it, based on the situation, based on the circumstances, maybe a few should know or maybe a lot should know, but be faithful to give God glory. Put your faith in Jesus. Don't don't put your faith in what you're going to do and the steps you're going to take and the efforts you're going to make. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Come to Him and say, Lord Jesus Christ, start with Him because He is not your last best hope. He's your first best hope. Start there. I need you, Jesus. I need you. I need to trust in you. I need to believe you. I want your help in this. And He will come and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. If you're not saved... If you're not saved, you can identify with a girl. You mean, what do you mean? I'm not dead. Well, the Bible says you are. The Bible says before we come to Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and in our sin. We cannot save ourselves any more than a dead person can raise themselves to life. We have to trust in Jesus Christ that He would raise us to newness of life and give us life. That's what it means to be born from above or, or to be born again. It means that I ask God to save me because I cannot save myself. How about you? Would you come to Christ and be saved? We're going to have to spend some time right now, like during this, this, this invitation, of just getting on our face before God and asking God, God, would you strengthen my faith today? I'm coming to you because you are my help and you're my only hope. I got nowhere else to go. 
But that's okay. I don't need to go anywhere else. You're who I need. Father, your will be done during this time of invitation. Help us, Lord, to call on you with faithful hearts to believe you for what you've said in your word to be true. God, there are those in this room that are going through difficulties beyond measure. And Lord, others in this room who have gone through those difficulties who can make public what you've done. Your will be done, I pray. There are those in this room that need to be saved. They need to be saved today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to have our invitation.